Kevin Markwick. from 1998 and Mutations and that is of course Tropicana well I actually meant it was Tropicala that was almost a perfect start good evening everybody Kevin Markwick here again and thank you to Adrian Corbin for another great show of soul grooviness Uh, 
actually, we've got so much to get through tonight. I'm quite excited. It's a good. It's going to be a good show, I think. Uh, we've got um, music from Karen Souza, Elbow, Foles, uh, Daughter, Bob Dylan, and many, many more. Cheney's back. Hey, calm yourself, ladies. He's going to be looking at uh, scores we may have missed in our in our trawl through the 1980s. Uh, this week he mops up 1980 and 1981. A man of many, many talents. The time pullover. Not quite as funny as previous time-based uh, uh, items of clothing. Actually stops in 1982. Uh, I'll also give you a quick rundown of my weekend, both uh, both good and disgraceful, at the London Film Festival. I saw a lot of films, and it's still going on. I could still be up there, but no, I'd rather be here talking to you, playing you good stuff. So uh, sit back, relax, kick off your chains, and listen to Foles.
that's Foles uh, from the album Holy Fire, which is uh, one of the big albums at the moment, really. Uh, it's called Out of the Woods. Um, one of the things I'd like you to do is get in touch with the show. Uh, you can do that via Twitter. Hit me up on Twitter at Kevin Markwick, or you can go to the Facebook page. Uh, check us out on Facebook. Facebook. Uh, I'll keep. If I keep saying the word Facebook. <laughs> Then, then it might work. Uh, Kevin, Mar- the Kevin Markwick show is what I'm what I'm trying to say. Uh, you can interact with the show there at Kevin Markwick on Twitter, or you can email me at the studio actually, um, studio at uckfieldfm.co.uk, which is always a good way to get in touch. Uh, we're going to move on. This is Giant Tortoise, a pond.
that's good, isn't it? That's Pond, all the way from Perth in Western Australia. And Giant Tortoise. Uh, when we come back, if it's time for any, uh, you know, kind of midweek, early week conjugals, I've got just the track for you uh, after this. Kevin Markwick. Well, this should put a smile on your face for whatever reason. Now we're gonna make love. You know how I know? Because it's Wednesday. And Wednesday night is the night that we usually make love. Monday night is my night to cook. Tuesday night we go and visit your mother. But Wednesday we make sweet weekly love. It's when everything is just right. There's nothing good on TV. You haven't had your after work, social, sports team practice, so you're not too tired. Oh, it's all on You lean in and whisper something sexy in my ear like I might go to bed now, I've got work in the morning I know what you're trying to say, girl You're trying to say, oh yeah It's business time It's business time It's business It's business time Then went in the bathroom, brushing our teeth. That's all part of the foreplay. I love foreplay. Then you sort out the recycling. That isn't part of the foreplay process, but it is still very important. Next thing you know, we're in the bedroom. You're wearing that baggy old ugly t-shirt you got from your work several years ago. You know the one, baby, with the curly stain. I remove my clothes very, very clumsily, tripping sensuously over my pants. Now I'm naked, except for my socks. And you know when I'm down to just my socks, what time it is. something sexy like is that it i know what you're trying to say girl you're trying to say oh yeah that's it and you tell me you want some more well uh, i'm not surprised but i'm quite sleepy
marvellous flight of the Concords. Business time. Now, the other thing you can do is uh, interact with the show online. Uh, there's, you can get, click on where the, it says about the webcams and you can look at the back of my head and you can interact by kind of filling in the form there and, and uh, talking nonsense to me. And I, I promise I'll try and talk some nonsense back. Uh, in the meantime, uh, we've got the film stuff coming up. Again, slightly different order this week. Cheney's going to come in and mop up all the other bits and pieces that we didn't cover over the previous two weeks. And then uh, the other side of the news on the hour will do 1981. Uh, so please stick around for that. This is um, Taj Mahal leaving Trunk.
Taj Mahal leaving trunk. Now, as part of my ongoing uh, 21st birthday celebrations this week, uh, my good lady wife has very kindly bought uh, bought us tickets to go and see daughter in Bexhill on Wednesday. Uh, so, very much looking forward to that. And uh, here's here's one of my favourites of theirs. It's called Youth.
And that's uh, Youth by Daughter. Uh, daughter, which I have two of, and Youth, which I <laughs> I no longer have. Um, of course I do. You're only as young as you feel. Um, right, we're going to move now into the movie portion of the show. Um, we're going to just have a quick trawl through some of the films. I saw about nine or ten films over the last couple of days. My idea of absolute heaven, if I'm honest, just sit in a cinema from the uh, from sun up to sundown. Uh, it's safer in there, you know. Um, at the London Film Festival, and then Cheney's going to tell us about eight, 1980 and 81. Then we'll have the news. Then we'll have 82. Is <sighs> there is a plan? It doesn't sound like much of a one, but there is. Uh, so we'll come back after this. So I've spent the last few days at the London Film Festival, which uh, seems to be improving, actually, uh, in a big way. And it, it, was, it seems slightly embarrassed about its uh, its position as a kind of mop-up festival and also showing films that have shown at other festivals. But I think it kind of works. It's like all the best bits all collected in one kind of great massive uh, tsunami of film actually I mean I was there two or three days I saw nine films and uh, I've had to come home obviously uh, we've got the show to do and some various other bits and pieces and I've got a business to run as well so I couldn't stay up uh, quite as long as I would hope but uh, you know if you went the full distance you'd pretty much cover all the good stuff over the last 12 months and a fair amount of stuff that's coming up in the next few months uh, I finally got to see Gravity absolutely fantastic and and for once, I would have to say that you probably need to see that one in 3D. That goes against <laughs> all of my instincts because I hate 3D. But that one actually, I, I would say, needs to be seen in 3D. In fact, I wanted to just watch it again the minute it finished, so, which is always a good sign. Uh, and not a dissimilar picture with Robert Redford called All Is Lost, uh, which is about um, uh, a man lost at sea in a storm with a leaky boat. And that's just it. That's really entirely what it is. And and as an exercise in filmmaking, it's 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 fantastic and interesting. And Redford's performance is is amazing. I, I wonder whether this will be his sort of last great performance. But it's it's uh, it's the guy that made Margin Call, whose name escapes me at the moment. It's like JC or something. I'll look that up. I should have uh, done that before, shouldn't I? And I uh, saw Jonathan Glazer's film Under the Skin, the science fiction film, which I think played in Toronto with Scarlett. Johansson that is quite quite something very strange and uh, it's a very arty kind of science fiction film but uh, definitely worth the effort and it stays with you for a very very long time uh, I'm not sure when that's coming out it might be in the new year uh, in the UK uh, I was also um, in terms of the sort of mopping up part of the plan um, the can um, Palm Door winner, Blue is the Warmest Colour, plays as well. I think that actually the official screening is tonight. I think it may be tonight. I saw it on Saturday. And uh, it certainly lived up to its reputation, this extraordinary uh, intimate. Intimate in a, in a way you don't often... See. I mean, cinema is, is actually very intimate. It has scale, but this also can be very, very intimate. And this is um, almost painfully intimate. It draws you in, in a way I've rarely seen in a film. And uh, this piece of music was uh, used very effectively. Uh, Licky Lee, uh, I Follow Rivers. As used in uh, Blue is the Warmest Colour. See what I did there?
going to do a terrible thing and cut uh, wonderful Licky Lee off in her prime because I've already talked far too much. Because <laughs> I also wanted to get in um, uh, I, to talk about the uh, Terry Gilliam picture, Zero Theorem, which uh, was a bit of a disappointment, actually. But um, the more I think about it, the more I probably need to see it again because uh, I think there might be something in it. I also saw uh, The Double from Richard Ayoade, yeah, whatever, and uh, a brilliant uh, Chilean picture called Gloria. But what I wanted to play you was this wonderful uh, version of Creep, uh, Radiohead's uh, Creep, which turns up in the uh, Zero Theorem. When you were here before Can look in the eye You're just like an angel Your skin makes me cry You float like a feather In a beautiful world Special, you're so very special, but I'm a creep and I'm a widow. What the hell am I doing here? I don't belong. I want a perfect body I want a perfect soul I want you to know That's rather pleasant, isn't it? Creep by uh, Karen Souza, which turns up on several compilation albums, actually, I found. You're so very and used effectively uh, by uh, Terry Gilliam in his new film, The Zero Theorem, which seems to come to the conclusion, and it's not giving anything away, uh, as several films have recently, that it may, might be better just to live in our fantasy world and enjoy ourselves rather than have to face reality. What the hell am I doing? Sounds nice if you can do it. I don't belong. Anyway, it's Cheney time. Hello. Well, this could get confusing, couldn't it? Kevin is going to talk about 1982 with particular attention to the top ten films in the UK. Me, I'm going to exhaust last week's year, 1981. In addition, I'm also playing catch-up and really need to mention one or two from the decade's opening year. So, before I get tangled up in a Back to the Future plotline three years early, if you see what I mean... Let's just remind ourselves about a couple of the other big films from 1980. The outstanding releases that dropped off the bottom of the UK list, or were they too far off the top, feature a couple of real crackers, Stanley Kubrick's Stephen King adaptation The Shining and Martin Scorsese's Verismo boxing flick Raging Bull. Both directors use a wide range of extant music. Scorsese's Italian-American cup runneth over with popular music from the period, but also extracts from no fewer than three Maschegni operas, 
including the familiar Intermezzo from Cavalleria Rusticana over the titles. Kubrick was determined to use more Ligeti and Penderecki after its success in 2001, The Space Odyssey. However, the most memorable music in The Shining is to be found in the spare sonorities of Bella Bartok's music for strings, percussion and celeste to really put the creeps in the Overlook Hotel. Whether it was esoteric Hungarian modernism or a 1930s cylinder recording of Ray Noble's orchestra playing It's All Forgotten Now. Seeing The Shining on its release carried serious bragging rights for the older boys on the school bus. There was fun to be had in 1980, though. In a unique precursor to the catalogue musicals which now clog up London's West End, the Blues Brothers served as a vehicle for a jukebox worth of popular hits. My favourite is the irresistible Everybody Needs Somebody to Love, which Dan Aykroyd and John Belushi use to create a crowd frenzy and so evade the law. One, two, one, two, three, four... We're so glad to see so many of you lovely people here tonight. We would especially like to welcome all the representatives of Illinois' law enforcement community who have chosen to join us here in the Palace Hotel Ballroom at this time. We certainly hope you all enjoy the show. And remember, people, that no matter who you are and what you do to live, thrive, and survive, there's still some things that make us all the same. You, me, them, everybody. Sugar to kiss. 
There are many reasons to dwell on 1980, and these films are just a few of them. It was also the year in which I first visited a cinema, being taken to Kevin's Uckfield Picture House to see Flash Gordon. It also puts off the inevitable, which is moving on into 1981, generally a less good year for the movies. However, if the music for the previous year's best was co-opted from an existing classical or popular repertory, then there's some really good original music to be found in 1981's films. Kevin has already looked at totemic John Williams and experimental Jerry Goldsmith. I really like the Tangerine Dream soundtrack to Michael Mann's first feature, Thief, a broody vehicle for post-godfather James Kahn. Mann has always been an uncompromisingly stylish director and got the band to produce an album of similarly purposeful music. You can hear some of the Vangelis-style synths that popped up in Chariots of Fire, which Kevin also covered last week. Thief has no romance, though, only existential sobriety. Probably the most original soundtrack of 1981 wasn't really music at all. Brian De Palma's Blowout is a loose adaptation of Antonioni's 1966 masterpiece Blow Up. John Travolta's sound engineer captures an accident on tape, it's a camera in the 60s original, and sets a conspiracy thriller in motion. De Palma had Pino Donaggio write music for the film, which belongs in the Mantivani-like romance of the previous decade. American critic Pauline Kael famously loved Blow Up, but, unsurprisingly, I can't find any explicit reference to this slush anywhere. Goodbye.
Thank you, Cheney. Another great and wonderful piece. I don't know, this I, it's not great, is it? This Pinot Dinaggio stuff. But I think maybe you need to see it a bit in context because it was all the slow motion stuff, wasn't it? Yeah. Similar to the way uh, he used it in Carrie. I assume, I didn't look this up either. <laughs> I assume he also wrote the music for Carrie, which had the similar kind of slow motion sequences with the rippling strings over it. I think this is the screamy bit as well, isn't it? He's listening to the scream. It was a fine film. Anyway, thank you very much, Chaney. Wonderful. He'll be back next week where he doesn't have to squeeze two years into one, which is a good thing. Uh, and when we come back, we've got a sort of Tom Hanks double bill uh, because he uh, unusually is opening the London Film Festival or has opened the London Film Festival and will be closing the London Film Festival, which I'll tell you all about when we come back. So in what I think might be a first, uh, Tom Hanks... Although he won back-to-back Oscars, didn't he? So he's quite good at that kind of thing. Uh, is opening the London Film Festival, has opened the London Film Festival with Captain Phillips, uh, which is a sort of rollicking, shaky cam adventure <laughs> based on a true story, uh, directed by um, Paul Greengrass. And it is actually very good. If not, it's just a tad over long, but it, 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 it really is very entertaining. And the punch it packs at the end is, is tremendous. And uh, this is part of the score. So I'm going to play you this. And then I'm going to play you something that corresponds to the closing night film. You can try and work out what it is, um, just for laughs. But this is part of um, Captain Phillips' uh, score. It is now.
I'm not going to do that justice either, am I? I promise I'll play you more of that next week. Uh, part of Henry Jackman and John Powell's score for Captain Phillips, which opened the London Film Festival last week, last Wednesday night, I think. And it's certainly an impressive piece of work by uh, All Concerned and the director, Paul Greengrass, who shot uh, a lot of his shaky cam on Super 16, apparently. Now, the film closing the festival is Saving Mr Banks, which is um, it just amazing. <laughs> I blubbed for the last 20 minutes. I couldn't control myself. It's the story of how Walt Disney and P.J. Travers, P.L. Travers, made uh, Mary Poppins. We'll come back after the news. It's super califragilistic, expialidocious, even though the sound of it is something quite atrocious. If you say it loud enough, you're always suddenly conscious. Super califragilistic, expialidocious. Because I was afraid to speak when I was just a lad. My father gave me nails at week and told me I was bad. But then one day I learned a word to say we ain't the nose. The biggest word you ever heard, and this is how it goes. Oh, Say there goes a clever jet. When Dukes and Rogers pass a time of day with me, I say we smash a word and we play off three off the two. Super but that's going a bit too far, don't you think? Indubitably. So when the cat has got your tongue, there's no need for dismay. Just summon up this word and then you've got a lot to say. But better use it carefully or it could change your life. For example? Uh, yes? One night I said it to me girl, and now me girl's me wife. Oh, and a lovely thing she is too. <laughs> Kevin Time machine. Yes. Hot tub time machine. 
Here we are in 1981. Uh, 82. Oh, really? 82. Do you think we're trying to pack too much in? It's like some big Scooby snack. It's kind of all falling apart. Is it worth it? Okay, 1982. Thatch was still in Downing Street. And unemployment hit a post-war record of over 3 million. And a bicycle. Freddie Laker went bust and so did the DeLorean car company, paving the way for old models to be used as time machines, presumably. By the women and uh, the Barbican Centre opened and the Eurovision Song Contest was held in Harrogate. Nice. Uh, it was also the year of the Falklands War. The boy said that they're going to... The Mary Rose is exhumed from the seabed and the Thames barrier is unveiled. And new ITV franchises, including Dear Old TVS, were launched on January the 1st. And in November, Channel 4 hit the airwaves. Somebody said someone got... uh, the World Cup took place in Spain. Uh, Italy won, I think, yep, for the uh, third time. On TV, we were watching Wogan, Saturday Superstore, uh, The Young Ones and Boys from the Black Stuff. In the charts, there were hits for Madness, The Human League, and who can forget the Goombay Dance Band. Now, this song, Robert Wyatt's version of Shipbuilding, uh, was number one on the indie chart for three weeks in October. an Elvis Costello song who did it after him so that's a bit confusing in the cinema though mainstream hardly begins to cover it Remember, uh, back in 1980 when we started to see the rise of Sylvester Stallone? Well, by 1982, he was pretty much at the peak of his fame, appearing twice in the UK chart. Uh, First Blood was at number nine. Still missing number ten. Don't worry, from next week onwards, I've got 15 upwards. Ah, it's going to be it's going to be even more uh, over the top and uh, packed. Anyway, it grossed £1.6 million. Um, John Rambo's drifting Vietnam vet who stumbles into a small town and falls foul of the sadistic local police force. But because this is the 80s and this is the first in a cycle of action hero films, Rambo is virtually indestructible. He single-handedly takes on the National Guard and basically destroys the whole town. I'm assuming it was hugely popular with the NRA. It was all kind of silly, but, you know, played with conviction, and Brian Dennehy's always good to watch. 
The score, actually, was the first of two in the chart by Jerry Goldsmith. I don't, I don't think it was one of his greatest. And also features this horrible thing by Dan Hill. So eat as it hurts. Number eight, though, much more up my street. Don't worry, I can edit that out, podcasters. Well, none of the podcasters won't know what I'm talking about. Oh. Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, grossed £2.3 million. Recently voted by Star Trek fans as the best of all Star Trek films. It actually remains hugely entertaining for the non-fans as well. And after the slight, and I say slight advisedly because I quite liked it, misfire of the first film, dubbed Star Trek The Motionless Picture by critics, Wrath of Corn, Wrath of Corn? <laughs> That's a film I want to see. The Wrath, Wrath, I see, Wrath, Wrath, Khan, Khan. Uh, anyway, it featured redesigned sets and costumes and a much more sprightly script, all far in, all, all far more in keeping with the original series. Also featured a cracking score by James Horner, which worked on its own merits as well as skillfully integrating the elements from uh, Goldsmith's score for the first film and Alexander Courage's iconic music from the TV show. This is the end credit music, so let it play.
title uh james horner's score for star trek 2 the wrath of khan the number eight highest grossing film of the year in 1982 now more sequel fun at uh number seven grossing 2.5 million pounds mad max 2 arguably the best mad max film Uh, while the first movie in 79 had a lo-fi charm and plenty of action, its budget uh, rather hampered it slightly. And after its massive global success, a sequel was always on the cards. Uh, with a much, a much bigger budget, but still retaining the punk sensibility, it was all rather entertaining. Lots of great car chases, and the Australian outback makes for a great post-apocalyptic landscape. Uh, Mel Gibson reprises the role that made him a star and this time the Americans didn't dub the native Aussie accents into American. Well, thank goodness for that. That was ridiculous. Brian May, no relation, returned as composer. OK, we'll continue our trawl through 1982 after this. You're listening to Kevin Marquick on Uckfield FM. We're uh, currently deep, deep, deep in 1982, where life was, well, different and probably had shoulder pads. Uh, we're going through the top ten films of that year. Uh, at number six was Poltergeist, grossing uh, £2.8 million. Um, I very clearly remember the audience screaming very loudly in this one. Uh, although directed by Texas Chainsaw Man uh, Toby Hooper, it takes place very much in producer Steven Spielberg land. Um, comfy middle-class suburban America on a modern, clean, safe housing estate. And actually, you know, to be fair, that's what gives the film its menace, that all this ghostly weirdness could happen inside our nice family house, you know, threaten us on our doorstep. Uh, you know the story, little girl gets sucked into the telly when it turns out the house is built on an old Indian burial ground and they have to kind of get in mediums to get rid of the dead that are sort of wandering around trying to find the afterlife. Uh, furniture flies around and there are some genuinely unsettling moments. And the score is by our favourite here... <laughs> Jerry Goldsmith, and it was actually one of its high points.
Jerry Goldsmith score for Poltergeist, the number six film. Uh, Dullesville at number five, grossing $2.8 million. Uh, Firefox, an entirely routine action thriller with Clint Eastwood as a pilot sent into Soviet Russia to steal a secret stealth fighter. Yawn. Uh, at number four, it was Stallone again. Rocky 3 was a massive hit. By this time, Stallone understood his audience and was able to deliver exactly what they wanted. More of the same, with knobs on. And everything a bit soapified up. An impossible opponent played by Mr T. Life lessons, dying father figures, endless montages, and an iconic 80s theme song. Rocky three grossed three point one million pounds, and that's all you need to hear of that ever, really, isn't it? <laughs> okay, and so do the top three, all very different from each other. And number three was a rather overlong and way too cutesy pie movie version of Annie. It was directed by. Uh, John Houston. It's the hard knock life for us. Sanitary and we get tricks. Static says we get tricks. It's the hard knock life. Um, start a sort of hammy Albert Finney as Daddy Warbucks. This song was good though. Number two, with a gross of £7.7 million, Richard Attenborough's massive Oscar-winning triumph, Gandhi. Uh, A tremendous and and properly epic film that made a star of Ben Kingsley and, as you can imagine, did very well for us. Thank you very much. Uh, What could have been a far too referential exercise actually is um, really absorbing and inspiring, really, uh, presenting Gandhi's journey as a parallel to India itself as he goes from obedient servant of the empire through enlightenment and eventually independence, but, of course, at great personal cost. Uh, The cast was the great and good of the British film industry and uh, featuring all of Dickie's friends like John Mills, Dear Dear Johnny and Dear Dear Johnny Gilgood, uh, Edward Fox and uh, all those others. It won eight Oscars, including Best Picture, uh, Best Actor, uh, Best Director, Best Screenplay, as well as a host of technical awards. And it also featured uh, a rather wonderful Oscar-nominated score by Ravi Shankar and George Fenton. I like this, uh, this cue particularly. Uh, it's called Discovery of India. Oh, 
That's wonderful. Part of Ravi Shankar and uh, George Fenton's score for uh, Gandhi, the number two film of the year in 1982. So, which brings us to number one and way ahead of the competition with a whopping £21.6 million, which would be pretty useful even today. Uh, E.T. the Extraterrestrial. Not much to say about it, really. That hasn't already been said. However, it struck me that this and Poltergeist are, are not a million miles apart. Same environment, slightly different story, uh, you know alien stuff uh, although Elliot is dealing with the breakdown of his parents marriage uh, one of the first family films I think to do so and uh, E.T. represents something precious that Elliot is vainly trying to hold on to um, we played it for weeks and weeks and weeks in fact it was in the days when we had changeovers you know there were two projectors because we didn't you know now all films run in one go and even even in the latter day of film they did uh, but you know I had to change over every 20-30 minutes uh, from one reel to the next and you couldn't get out the box uh, for very long so i actually pretty much never want to see it again not because it isn't great but i just know it inside out uh so when it comes on i i just know i don't i can't i can't stand it but it is of course um uh, the score of course is uh, iconic uh, by the at this time ubiquitous john williams who seemed to rule the uh, rule the score world at this time uh and this is his fantastic uh in credit music from et the number one film in 1982 
Actually, I take it all back. <laughs> oh dear, that yeah, bringing it all back. I blubbed like a oh, like everyone did. A lot of people blubbed a lot at the end of that film, and I was one of them. And that was bringing it all back. I've not honestly, seriously listened to it for a while, so uh, I really enjoyed that. That was it. The number one film in 1982, E.T. the Extraterrestrial, and we were still playing it. I think in February or March 1983, it took that much money. Okay, music on the other side. We'll talk a bit more film, but it's mainly music after this. Kevin Markwick. Okay, let's have a couple of lovely, lovely tracks to calm us down after that sort of rather <laughs> racy trawl through 1982. Here's a couple of uh, Bob Dylan pen tracks back to back. I love you're gonna make me lonesome when you go. 
Kevin Markwick. 105 Uckfield FM. Well, it ain't no use sitting and wonder why, baby. Even you don't know by now. And it ain't no use to sit and wonder why, baby. It'll never do somehow. When your rooster crows at the break of dawn, look out your window and I'll be gone. You're the reason I'm a traveling on But don't think twice, it's all right And it ain't no use in the turning on your light, baby The light I never knowed and it ain't no use in turning on your light, babe I'm on the dark side of the road But I wish there was something you would do or say To try and make me change my mind and stay But we never did too much talking anyway But don't think twice, it's all right And calling out my name, gal Like you never done before And it ain't no use in calling out my name, gal I can't hear you anymore I'm a-thinking and a-wondering Walking down the road I once loved a woman A child, I am told I give her my heart But she wanted my soul don't think twice, it's all right So long, honey, baby Where I'm bound, I can't tell Goodbye is too good a word, baby so I just say, fairly well I ain't saying you treated me unkind You could have done better, but I don't mind You just kind of wasted my precious time but Don't think twice, it's all right Dylan, don't think twice. And before that, Madeline Peru uh, from her uh, debut album, I think, Careless Love. Beautiful, beautiful version of You're Gonna Make Me Lonesome When You Go. Um, now, uh, when I'm running out of time, I've packed so much in and I'm enjoying myself so much that uh, I'm going to run out of time to do everything. But I just wanted a quick look at the ledger, which you can hear here. 
eh, 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 uh, which uh, has all the films that we played and how many people came in to see them. Uh, and I'm looking at 1982, and I can already see what Cheney's going to do next week. It's going to be Herbie Goes Bananas, isn't it? <laughs> Oh, what a film. Actually, no, I think, was it 1982? I think it was probably before that. It was a reissue. Blade Runner, it's got to be done, hasn't it? Oh, most definitely. Um, what else we got here? What the Butler Saw and Emmanuel and the Cannibals. Probably not going to cover that. Porkies. Um, oh, Empire Strikes Back is playing again. Some Pink Panther films. Uh, mostly E.T., actually. Uh, First Blood, yeah, we covered that one. Boys in Blue. Oh dear, the Cannon and Ball movie. Uh, not there for not anyone. Not the British film industry's finest moment, really, was it? In fact, eighty-four, which we'll be doing next week. Is it eighty-four next week? No, it's not. Is it? It's eighty-three. <laughs> well, when we get to eighty-four, that was the low point for admissions. I'll tell you all about that at the time. Uh, how are we doing for time here? Let's have a look. Uh, I know I'm going to play this one and see whether we got enough time to fit the rest of my playlist in. Oh, who cares? We're having such a nice time anyway. This is Matthew E. White.
Huey White and Big Love seem to be making everyone feel old tonight. <laughs> it was only 30 years ago, it's not that long ago. Okay, it is a while. Christine said she's feeling old, so does Mike. But then Mike is old. So don't forget to get in touch uh, at Kevin Markwick on Twitter uh, or you can hit us up on the Facebook page, The Kevin Markwick Show. Really want to know what you think about the show, about the content. Uh, Is it too much of a gallop? Should I slow down, calm down a bit? I don't know. Uh, Or maybe we should just do another couple of hours. Anyway, uh, let's have some Susie and the Banshees.
From the album uh, Tinderbox. What was it? Susie and the Banshees from 1985. So we hopped forward a couple of years there. I'm not obsessed with the 80s, honestly. Really, I'm genuinely not. Cities in Dust, which I think is one of their best singles ever, actually. Uh, and it finishes suddenly, apparently. <laughs> I'm not sure it does. Uh, we've got one more track left after we come back. Well, that's it. It's all over bar the, bar the elbow. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, thank you very, very much for joining me. I've had an absolute blast this evening. It's been brilliant. Thank you very much for listening in. And if you like the show, why not tell your friends about the podcast? And if you're listening on the pod- podcast, uh, hello to you as well. And thanks very much. And don't forget to, to write in with your thoughts and all the rest of it. So I'm going to leave you with an absolute stonker um, from the album Cast of Thousands. Elbow are on tour again uh, at the end of the year. Uh, and uh, they're one of my favourite bands this is a beautiful, beautiful track called Ribcage and I'll see you next week Uh, I love you all We blew the doors didn't we Pissed in their champagne and did a real thing, didn't we? Gave ourselves a name and peeled away the shame. I wanted to explode. Apart and let the sun So
Apart and let the sun inside.